He's just here for the good looks. <laughs> we don't show any of the video. It's time to get things started with How to Survive the Modern World or Gen X Isn't Just a Fashion Statement, presented by Tribe74.com. Andrew, how you doing today, buddy? Haven't seen you since last week. Feeling boombastic. Excellent, excellent. Looking forward to another good show. I know, and the weather's been perfect, and everything has been perfect, and we're now back in the first stages of not being locked down here in southwestern Ontario, Canada. Beautiful. Anyway, Andrew, I, I see somebody else staring back at me at the moment, and I'm kind of concerned. Maybe you could tell me who this person is. Uh, yes, we've brought a guest in for today's show. We've got photographer, pop culture guru, and god of mischief, Peter Neufeld. Welcome to the show, Peter. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, thanks for having me, uh, Rob and uh, Andrew, to the show today to chat about uh, different things, I guess. What's on our mind? <laughs> yeah, uh, probably, Rob, What what's on the show today? What are we actually talking about, dude? You're jumping right into that. Not even let me get into conversation no. here. Wow. No, well, I mean, it, it seems like it seemed like a perfect place to jump to fit that in. It was flowing. There's a third face here, and I don't even like, no, I just, I'm just learning who this person no, is. You can't, and... You'll learn as, as he answers questions. No, as you can say, I guess it really isn't even questions. We never ask questions. We just talk about subjects. We're going to talk today about soundtracks and how they've changed over the years. Love movie soundtracks. Yes, uh, I was a huge fan of movie soundtracks. Uh, then next, we're going to jump into uh, talking about characters and their vulnerabilities and how they're relatable to us or other people, I guess, in some situations. And then we're going to discuss the awesome new Disney Plus show from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Loki. Mm. That mischievous, mischievous scamp. The scamp. Indeed. So I think that's a pretty good lineup for today. Uh, I'm actually kind of intrigued because usually we're, our, our, our discussions are pretty basic topics. Like we talk about, you know, like a band or we talk about like a, a character or what we've been reading or watching. And this one is actually going to challenge us a little bit to actually think I feel like I'm going to have to talk about my feelings today. <laughs> I'm not comfortable with this. I'm going to have to talk about my feeling. <laughs> just, <laughs> just the one. If I had one. So why don't we jump right in with soundtracks and how they've changed over the years. Okay, that sounds good. I'm down for that. Tell me, what, what was your favorite soundtrack growing up? Peter, why don't you start for us? Um, I got a couple, actually. There, there's two that come to mind. 200 Cigarettes was, it was a, to me, a good, a good soundtrack. There's great songs on that one. To be honest, I don't even know if I've seen the movie. Um, and the other one, Dumb and Dumber, that's another one I listened to a lot, was that one. The movie itself, eh, it's not a great movie, but the soundtrack's pretty good. Those, those are the two that kind of come to mind as, as two of my favorite soundtracks that I actually owned and would listen to kind of from start to finish. That was a good thing about uh, soundtracks growing up, though, too, is that the movie could be total garbage, but... If it had a great soundtrack, you oh, watch sure. you watch the movie. Well, sometimes you watch the movie. I mean, you said you didn't. Well, you might not have watched Two Hundred Cigarettes. Is Two Hundred Cigarettes? Is that the one with Christina Ricci? I feel like I've seen that one. I believe so. Yeah, I I'm not sure if it's something about the New Year's or something like that, or is that another movie? Oh, who knows? I haven't seen it. I I was a big fan of Christina Ricci uh, during uh, those years, uh, 10, 15 years ago, I guess. And uh, I remember having that soundtrack for sure. Whether I seen the movie or not, I don't know. I'm just going to have to put that on my must-watch list now. <laughs> I, I, I love Christina Ricci, so I probably watched it and enjoyed it. Rob, what, what about you? What were some of your favorites? Well, I'm going way back here. I'm going way back. And the 80s was awesome. There were so many great soundtracks, especially from uh, those Molly Ringwald movies. 
the era of soundtracks. But I was, I'm a big heavy metal guy. And so the nineties had some killer soundtracks. You know, there was the uh, Beavis and Butthead soundtrack, which might sound stupid, but it was a great soundtrack. Uh, There was some killer songs on there. And then there was a Tales from the Crypt, uh, Demon Knight, Hmm. which had an amazing soundtrack. And then I'm not even going to talk about, because I'm sure somebody else is going to talk about it, but The Crow. The Crow soundtrack was in my rotation forever. I didn't have it written down, but I was thinking about it just as you said it. Oh, wow, yeah. So, Andrew, what about you? I don't think we can have this conversation without talking about Top Gun. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a a fantastic soundtrack. Another one that I loved later on was Train Spotting. Oh, yeah. Great movie. It made you feel everything that was happening in the movie. I am embarrassed to say I've never watched Train Spotting, but I loved the soundtrack. Oh, dude, you got to watch it. Yeah, I know. I have to watch it. I love Ewan McGregor, and I love that. It To me, it looks like what um, uh, the Clockwork Orange was, but the modern version of it. Definitely not one to watch with young children. My, my wife refuses to watch it because there is some scene about a baby, and I don't know what it was, but she is not happy about that scene. Yeah, no, the dead baby is crawling on the ceiling. That sounds wicked to me. I think we can probably, we're not going to spoil it for anybody now <laughs> at, at this point, if we, if we say that. So I don't mind dropping that. If, if you watch the show, you're going to see a dead baby crawling on the ceiling. So I noticed that none of you said anything about any soundtracks that have come out in the last 20 years. Maybe it's because they suck <laughs> compared to what used to be coming out. Or they don't exist. Or they don't really exist. Let, let's talk about that. Let's break that down a little bit. Can you guys, any of you, either of you name a soundtrack that you've listened to that's not a score in the last few years? Uh, I could probably name a couple. Guardians of the Galaxy, anything from Tarantino. I mean, but the thing is, these albums don't exist in physical form anymore. So you're just, you're not even really picking up the album. You're picking up a song or two off that soundtrack. And a lot of times it's just a compilation of the era. And you could even just, go and download that that particular song and could have done it exactly 25 years ago quite often now the uh the movies are going and actually just purchasing the song to use for their for their movie well that that was a point i was going to hit next is that you you mentioned those movies but those songs are older songs in most cases that just kind of get dropped in so there's it's not like the old days where the songs or the soundtrack was built around the movie sorry that the, the movie was built around a soundtrack per se but it's now that they're just ah, let's just drop these songs in i mean honestly you could probably put any song when that very first scene of guardians of the galaxy when oh, yeah. star lord is is just kicking the, the the creatures around and stuff like that you could probably drop in any great 60s 70s tune and it would it would fit that scene so well i was trying to think about different songs that were actually written for the movies and I was, gosh, I was watching like the Oscars or something like that. And I thought about James Taylor performing Our Town for, for the movie Cars, which was actually written for Cars. And it's just, it's a ballad about the recounts of the economic decline of Radiator Springs on Route 66 and the construction of Interstate 40. So that, that was the one that kind of came to mind kind of off the top of my head. But I couldn't, and how many years does that go back? I can't even think of anything recent where the song has actually been written for the movie. Only one that comes to mind is any James Bond movie. They are still writing new songs for those. Yeah. Nice. That's the only one. 
yeah the uh billy eilish i think is going to be on the movie that comes out uh i can't remember the to die another not die another day i can't remember the name off the top of my head but the next james bond movie coming out this summer so that's actually how i got or at least i tried listening to duran duran i've never been a big fan of duran duran but when they did a view to a kill i gave my best effort that was unfortunately that wasn't a good soundtrack it kind of dropped off from after that one it was all instrumental i think after that i was gonna say there was no thompson twins or kenny loggins song thrown on there (laughs) (laughs) Uh, kenny loggins i mean how many soundtracks did he just obliterate out of the 80s in a good way none of us even mentioned footloose i thought about footloose every single person probably in our age group knows footloose and knows songs from that soundtrack for sure classic movie classic in a way as in it was fun to watch maybe and great music yeah no fun movie you know good good to watch interesting storyline kevin bacon too i guess so i guess that's all right too i suspect girls liked them the girls like him or they like the big farmer boy i don't know i don't know either i suspect each of them had had their following but we're getting off topic here i want to kind of jump back because andrew you mentioned uh disney movies there and do disney movies really count uh, considering that their musicals do you count those soundtracks frozen is is the obvious one is that that had a huge following for that one or two songs off it but it used to be back in the day like we're talking in in generation x times when like the little mermaid and beauty and the beast those soundtracks and aladdin those soundtracks were massive sellers lion king sorry should be obviously the one of the most obvious ones Mm -hmm. because they had multiple songs and they had all kinds of celebrities doing cover versions or singing right on the actual movie itself. But the modern Disney movies, you don't really see that as much. Or do you? Yeah. I think it was actually Disney that did the first soundtrack. I think I came across when I was looking that um, the soundtrack for Snow White and the Seven Dwarves was the actual first commercially issued film soundtrack. Oh, wow. 1937. I did not know that. But that could explain why Disney is so synonymous with soundtracks, I guess. No, they put out some great soundtracks. And they, they've had some great, I mean, Randy Elfman is, is just one of the many, many amazing composers. But when you look at movies, modern movies in general, even like the Disney ones, I guess a lot of it is scoring. I'm sure we all listen to Star Wars soundtrack at some point, maybe. Or I, maybe I'm the only weird one that has ever done that, but I used to have all the different Star Wars soundtracks. No, you're the only weird one. Yeah, I, I actually, I love Star Wars, but I, I never really truly sat there and listened to the soundtrack, like kind of, oh, this is Han's theme, this is Leia's theme. I No, I didn't do that. I know a I lot didn't of people, either. Now I've got to go back and check it out. To there see were what specific they are. themes for it, but everybody just kind of remembers the main theme. And you can you, you can kind of pick up which themes are whose in, in the movies, but uh, I never listened to them, no. Wow. Okay. So maybe I, well... I shouldn't say maybe I am weird. I am weird, but I was I was a huge score listener. I used to listen to all kinds of score soundtracks. You've enlightened us, is what you've done. I've never thought about looking uh, looking at the the scores for those movies. Well, we we talked about James Bond. Uh, I know uh, Andrew, you're a fan of Indiana Jones. Uh, a lot of these scores are huge and if you think about it one of the things that i've watched recently on YouTube, my wife and I will catch ourselves watching these like little guests that movie theme song little games that they put up where they'll put like you know 60 seconds to guess that theme so many of them are scores like they'll be like harry potter and titanic as well as star wars and such oh yeah when's the last time you guys may have purchased a soundtrack obviously not considering streaming probably train spotting that that, it's been that long since i bought a a movie soundtrack yeah i think the same for me probably the two i mentioned or were the last two but 
maybe maybe other ones i'm trying to think what other movies were out there probably pulp fiction oh yeah i've got i've got that well the tarantinos are kind of are a little different because the tarantino films they always had killer soundtracks but in a way they were also kind of like uh, what mentioned before too is that a lot of times they were older tracks there was there fresh stuff in some of those tracks i'm trying to think of of some of the albums i don't know if any of them were actually written for the the movie no uh, he he he's very good at picking songs to fit into his movies that you maybe didn't catch the first time around mm-hmm. um like for example like the rolling stones in the most recent one the once upon a time in hollywood like i'd never heard that song before and i heard him like yeah this is a awesome rolling stone song i have to listen to that again right I still haven't seen that movie. I have not either. Yeah, I watch everything Tarantino, and I meant to see it in the theaters, never did. And I was thinking about it just a few days ago, and I'm writing it down now to remember to watch. Tarantino is—he's uh, got some pretty classic movies. Like they blow—they blow me out of the water every time I watch one. Generally, uh, Kill Bills obviously were other great ones with great soundtracks as well. Yeah. Yeah, I've got their discs around somewhere. You have discs? Like CDs. Oh. Actually, CDs and the VHSs. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's funny you should say discs because a friend of mine had Pulp Fiction on Laserdisc. No way. I remember watching it on Laserdisc with them when they had it. It was hilarious. I didn't, I didn't even think they were still making those at that point. Well, that was in the 90s. <laughs> I got a question. I've never watched a Laserdisc. Was the quality like DVD quality or was it just nothing special? I think it was decent. I think it was better than VHS at the time. And I, I remember it had to be flipped over to watch the other side. Yeah. Yeah. One of my buddies growing up, um, they had one. It was a very odd thing. But to be honest, like we didn't even have VHS at that point. And it seemed normal that you would have to take take out this disc and flip it over. And it was like the size of a record. Seems just that's what you did. Yeah, that was another format that came out just before VHS. I remember place rented it. The movie came in like a, a plastic box, and you put the whole thing in the machine, and the disc was inside that. Laserdisc was actually looked like a record, and it came out just after, just before CDs or DVDs and VHS. It looked kind of a gold color, I think it was. I had a friend who wanted to sell me one for $200, and it was a player, and then all of his Laserdiscs with it, and... I tried to convince my parents to to help me buy it, but they're like, no. And I'm kind of glad I didn't. But the business I'm in now, maybe I should have if, if I'd kept it all those years. Maybe somebody would buy it nowadays for a premium. Yeah, cool, collectible. I, I looked down the list. I looked up a list of all the best soundtracks, I guess, over the years. And it was interesting. So I'll just kind of do a quick like little listing here. I went to the 1980s and... Top Gun, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Lost Boys, Pretty in Pink, Say Anything, Beverly Hills Cop, Some Kind of Wonderful, Purple Rain, Repo Man. And that's not to say anything about like, you know, St. Elmo's Fire or any of the other Molly Ringwald movies. Uh, in the 90s, there was Singles, Train Spotting, Pulp Fiction. I talked about Demon Knight. Judgment Night was another one that I really loved. Boys in the Hood, Wayne's World. You can, can't forget Wayne's World. That should be mentioned. And Batman Forever. Oh, yeah. I tried to look up in the 2000s and the 2010s, and they were all scores. There weren't anything, there wasn't anything like those 80s or 90s type soundtracks. No. Now, Rob, as you went down that list, I remember I, I actually uh, taped a copy of Beverly Hills Cop from your brother. <laughs> it's a great soundtrack. And I probably still have it. I don't have anything to actually play it on, 
but I still have the tape. My wife has tried to throw my tape collection. I don't know how many times, but I won't let her. They're all in boxes underneath my bed. But tape players, like they're still like 200 bucks to buy a, a unit. And I can't, I can't justify that. I was going to say, I heard you mention St. Elmo's Fire in there. And I actually learned, and I don't know why I didn't know this, is the theme song was actually written for Rick Hansen first and then used in the movie. Oh, really? I thought it was the other way around, but it was it was actually John Parr got together with, I think it was David Foster, and he knew Rick Hansen, and they, they wanted to make this song. And then it got added to the movie, which which seems kind of bizarre because the movie's called St. Almost Fire. Well, Hollywood was kind of weird back then, though, too, right? Because they would just like record a bunch of different songs and then they might slap it into a movie here and there for sure that's a cool story though so many of those soundtracks like just like looking at the list myself i mean i could say i probably owned at least 95 percent of those soundtracks i got most of them from columbia house yeah <laughs> that's how i actually got a lot of my soundtracks was columbia house i don't know a single person that didn't have a columbia house membership i had about 10 of them <laughs> Or at least people our age, anyway. I am probably solely responsible for the demise of Columbia House. I'm not going to lie. They also brought down my credit quite a bit, too. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah. The thing is, they've been around for years, too, right? Because I remember digging up an old comic book, and there was a Columbia House ad in there. And one of your options was 8-track, record, or reel-to-reel. Nice. Reel-to-reel. I don't remember seeing that, but that's, that's amazing. And I'm like, what? <laughs> that is amazing. Singles is probably one of my top favorites because of the Chris Cornell grunge connection that I had. Chris Cornell's song, Seasons, was absolutely phenomenal. And it's still in my playlist. Anytime we go anywhere, I still have that song just cranked up. Is there anything that you guys have heard recently in the soundtrack that you would want to dig more into? I can't think of anything off the top of my head for no. any new movies that have come out recently. I think that that era is over. I mean, I think we've moved on to the the singles, right? That's it. That's all you can get now. I was interested um, to have a look at something recent coming out. So I checked out Ryan Reynolds' new movie, Free Guy. I mean, it's been new for coming out for like the last year and a half. Their big mo uh, song is Mariah Carey's Fantasy, which is a 1995 song. And then The Who's Baba O'Reilly, which is from 71. They're digging back. I wonder why that is. Is it that there's just no financial advantage to hiring, you know, like a, a famous rock star to do a song anymore? Uh, I mean, with guys like Justin Bieber who are just making raking in the dough, it's probably a pretty big expense to to contract one of these guys or or new singers. But even still, back then, it would have been a huge expense to to have new music done. Or is it maybe, is it just more economical to go to somebody that already has a great hit that everybody is going to associate with and buy it for, for the movie? Maybe. That's a good question. Yeah. Well, I wonder if it is cheaper to, to just farm it out. Cause I know it's like when somebody headlines the Super Bowl, they don't get really paid very much for that. That's why nobody wants to do it. They do it for exposure. Right. So is, is this, is that the reason people were doing these songs was for exposure or was it because they were asked to do it and they got paid to do it? I don't know. Well, I think, and I'm just going to throw this out a little bit. I think that there was a lot of crossover when it came to record producers and film producers. For instance, uh, that's why you'd only see certain bands on, for instance, I'll go back to like Evanescence on the Punisher and Daredevil soundtracks. Evanescence, I believe it was like 
I, I'm, I'm just hazarding a guess. It was Universal that made those films. Universal also had the record company, right? So perhaps that was the way to do it. Maybe it's just that- Who's your own artist? Because soundtracks don't sell the same way that they used to. Maybe it was just, why would we pay these people when we can just license these songs? Yeah. I'm sure licensing is a heck of a lot cheaper than you know, producing a whole new track. Especially songs that are like 40, 50 years old, right? I mean, you think about it. You look at commercials on TV, they're licensing old songs left, right, and center, right? Like when was the last time that you listened to The Who? Oh, exactly. That, that song's got to be reasonable. To CSI. CSI. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> Andrew clearly doesn't watch enough TV. Or what was the song they used in the Wonder Woman uh, commercial? It's been in like something else too, um, that 80s song. I can't remember what it is. Oh, it's from the 1984 trailer? Yeah. What's yeah, I haven't song? seen that movie yet, so. On, I haven't either. I've just seen the trailer, and it had like a, oh, what's the song? It's like a, a British um, pop band. And I heard the song popped up in another commercial as well. Oh, uh, so yeah, it, it must be like a, an easy to license song or something. Yeah. But then it makes the song popular, and then, of course, the licensing fees go up, right? I mean, think of Bohemian Rhapsody when it went into Wayne's World. It went back to number one because of that movie alone. Yeah. And that was like such an obscure song. Like I remember singing that when I was in school, like grade seven, maybe. And everybody thought my teacher was crazy. He's like, what is this garbage song that he's forcing us to sing in choir? And then <laughs> it comes out of Wayne's world. I'm like, I totally know that song now. Right. <laughs> Greatest song ever. And then it came popular again when the queen movie was out with uh, Remy Malik, Right. Have you seen the video? We're, we're just way off topic now, but have you have you ever seen? That's that's fine. That's that's what we do here. Anyway, have you seen the video on YouTube where the uh, they play Queen, Bohemian Rhapsody before concert? I think it was like before a Green Day concert, and there's like I don't know however many thousands of people in the in the audience, and they're all singing along with it, and it's just like the entire crowd is singing along to just this PA system of. Bohemian Rhapsody, and it's just absolutely crazy. It's it's a, a spine tingly type moment to watch, and it's pretty cool to think that that song, which was probably dead in dead in the water before Wayne's World, you know, it's crazy to think that now everybody knows it again. For sure, every generation it pops up again. Yeah. Oh, my son has become a huge Queen fan be because of it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. Well, hey, that's if you're gonna be a fan of any band, I mean. Queen is a, is a phenomenal band. Yeah, grab the greatest hits. There's tons of good stuff on there. Hey guys, we want to give a big shout out to our podcasting friends, Gen X Perspective, hosted by Tony Randazzo. They will pull at your heartstrings discussing nostalgia in days gone by, but they'll also spice it up with today's headlines from a Gen X perspective. Listen to them on all of your favorite podcasting sites. That is Gen X Perspective. Be sure to check them out and show them some love. I think that probably just kind of finishes off our movie soundtrack session and we can lead right into characters with relatable vulnerabilities. 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 Okay. First of all, what we're going to do is we're going to practice saying that word, everybody. Vulnerabilities. I shouldn't have eaten a peanut butter sandwich before the show. My tongue is sticking to the roof of my mouth. Just wash it down with some bees. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> vulnerabilities Let, let's talk about this then i mean one of the things that when, when you learn in writing and and you learn from any good character development is that the bad guy has vulnerabilities 
the good guys have vulnerabilities and that's what makes the characters more deep so when we talk about characters and vulnerabilities relatable vulnerabilities could you pick one person do you think one character out of across all pop culture that shares a vulnerability that you might or is this too broad of a question oh gosh maybe when thor the god of thunder becomes depressed and drunk in avengers <laughs> endgame yeah <laughs> <laughs> i look more like him in that than i do when he is you know fit and top-notch <laughs> uh, with the, the belly hanging out and the the well i have the beard right now i guess it you don't get those characters much uh anymore like your james bond character who's just this invincible man that has no flaws now now they're writing characters that you know the everyman can can appreciate and identify with i was even trying to think of some some of the older characters from movies that i watched we talked about indiana jones earlier on um and you know he was afraid of snakes and uh he had his daddy issues and actually saying that more recently austin powers that guy he had some daddy issues for sure, but I think one one that you might be missing that's that's older, maybe not that much older, but I mean the the epitome of daddy issues would be Darth Vader, uh, who didn't have a daddy, but he had some serious vulnerabilities that were exploited eventually. You know, when in his demise, like in Return of the Jedi, I think that they're there. Sometimes they're just not as obvious, depending on what you're looking at. Like a James Bond type, he's just suave, you know, rich you know, works for, for the government, but maybe his vulnerability is that uh, he's a player and uh, he's a playboy. It was playboy. the ladies. The ladies are always his downfall. Uh, yeah, I think there, there's a lot of good characters out there with vulnerabilities, and it's a lot of these movies that follow that hero's journey uh, monolith um, in terms of setting up their movies. Like you think about Star Wars, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, Matrix. Yeah. All these movies all follow that loosely right like even that one that was just on amazon or primer or whatever it was um uh, love and monsters and stuff like that and even mm -hmm. sweet tooth it's all these these people with these vulnerabilities that have to overcome them to reach their destination i mean that's what makes a good character like nobody wants a character to come out of the gate blazing right you want to it's a, it's like <laughs> almost like a video game where you have to build up your character gain your weapons, gain your skill points and stuff like that to get to where you need to be. That's like life. So people can relate to that better than somebody that comes out, oh, I'm perfect at everything. Like kind of think of like Captain Marvel, right? It's just like, eh, people didn't relate to her as well. Right. Yeah, she just kind of was inserted in and she was perfect. Everything about her was perfect. And she just it didn't feel natural. And like you said, like even in the comic books with Captain Marvel, it's like she's not a great selling comic book because she's just too good. Mm -hmm. you know she's like even superman the most powerful being in the you know whatever comic book universe you want to look at is he's got vulnerabilities like you know even if it's just something as, as silly as like some green stone from his home planet kryptonite oh. yeah. but he's always you know trying to do good never trying to to hurt people uh even the bad guys he tries it you know just like batman they both try to do it just justly but is it relatable? And that's what kind of where you talk about Captain Marvel. Who is she relatable to? Yeah. Nobody. 
No, I don't want to. I don't want to speak speak for for women or or anything like that. But I mean, as, as you know, they might they obviously try to indicate her as a strong, powerful woman who who can take charge. But who, as a human being, feels that way? No. No, nobody. Exactly right. But is there a male character in that same perfection realm? I guess I'm trying to think of somebody that that has that perfect character that that can't be flawed and and everything's easy to them. I think the only, the only thing I could maybe think of is like if you go back to old uh, action films, you know, the Arnold Schwarzeneggers of the day, you know, it always seemed like there was, you know, there's Arnold walking out of the forest with like a, a whole tree on his shoulder <laughs> and his daughter is his, is his vulnerability, I guess, when she gets kidnapped. So he has to go do it. But then, you know, it's, it's like nothing for him to go and murder everybody to get to her. You know, he just happens to have everything you and I or, or whoever couldn't just, you know, chase yeah. down the bad guy and murder them all to get to your daughter. So, yeah, maybe that's probably as close, but as an actual, like, true character, like, you know, even Captain America, who some people don't like because he, they think he's too perfect. Well, he's 70 years old and has watched all his friends die or came back as his friends were dying. So, you know, he's got that, that he, that's on his shoulders. Is there anybody? I don't know. Yeah. That's a really good question. That's a really solid question. I like the way that they're writing characters now though. Um, it, it does, it does make you want, it does make you want to watch. Yeah. Like even characters like Deadpool and Wolverine, where they're basically invincible type characters, they have flaws, but their flaws are deeply rooted in their, in their past more than their present, I guess. So, I mean, they're pretty perfect characters in the present. But they have a lot of mental issues that they have yeah. to deal with. <laughs> I was, yeah, which I think relates, which relates to everybody more often now. Yeah. But but to that to that point, I think one of the things that they always talk about with Wolverine again was that he could never fully love anybody because he was always going to be around. Like they they paint him, they show him back in like World War One and and so on. And so like the same issues that Captain America had is that yes, they were awesome. Like I mean, who wouldn't want to be like Dracula? you know, un- invulnerable, essentially. But at the same time, I mean, even Dracula himself had the issues where he never could never have, he could never settle down because the people around him, unless he turned them into vampires, were just going to die. He couldn't love. So yeah. relationships, relationships seems to be the ultimate vulnerability for the more perfect characters, I guess. It's a sacrifice, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I think it'd be pretty awesome to have friggin' claws coming out of my friggin' fists and you know take a couple bullets and get back up yeah really <laughs> maybe it hurts i don't know <laughs> it probably hurts a little bit but the fact that you know that you can survive it that's yeah. that's the cool thing that was another thing that they talked about in, in with wolverine comics too is that when he got like eviscerated uh it was painful and he would just like basically his body would go into shock and he would feel all of it you know as he was being healed and I think the same thing they talk, they kind of allude to it maybe with the Deadpool movie a bit. You get shot, you know you're coming back, but it still hurt like a son of a Gun. son of a bitch, right? <laughs> One of the character vulnerabilities that I've always, you know, kind of attracted to or related to, I guess, attracted to, related to was the whole geeky thing. Like I was a comic book nerd and back before comic books were cool, Spider-Man was, he's the, the quintessential nerd that everybody kind of wished they were 
Right? He had social anxiety. He always, you know, failed with the girls until until he got the confidence of being Spider-Man. And Flash Thompson was always there, the the big strong guy who was his friend, but at the same time wasn't his friend. Uh, and it was he was the, the kid that you could relate to as a comic book nerd going into that store every day. You thought, yeah. just pull on that mask. I think that's why it made Marvel more relatable to me as, as growing up was, was kind of that, like you said, the vulnerability of the characters or that group dynamic of characters. It either was one or the other, whereas DC was more individuals kind of always, they were kind of at the top of their game all the time. They were never really, that vulnerable i mean some people like it I, I mean i like some of the batman stuff movies i like some of the the superman stuff but i don't like it as much as the marvel stuff i like i feel more related to the marvel characters even the gods like thor and and like loki and guys like that you, you're just like okay I, I can understand where they're coming from they all had like real vulnerabilities right even like yeah. even thor you talk about thor and like he had his daddy issues and his his obviously his brother was a big issue as well loki mm-hmm. uh but yeah, for sure, I 100% agree with that because Marvel to me was like those were those characters were the people that were reading the comic books, like you know the X Men, you know you're a teenager, awkward teenager, and then you're uh, especially when you look at like racial societal issues, concerns, right, you know pressures uh, for these because these people were different and that that stuff that they had to deal with. But we're like you know Superman's a friggin' indestructible alien, right? You know what does he really have to be? concerned about batman's a batman's a billionaire with a billionaire company i wish i could uh find that relatable <laughs> i mean i i feel bad that his parents got shot down right in front of him but oh yeah i'm pretty sure money would make him feel a little better about that just even bouncing back a bit there like aquaman kind of came out of the gate pretty at the top of his game i think did he not or i'm trying to remember the movie like i don't remember him having much vulnerability in that movie that's kind of maybe one of those characters where and again we're not relating to him right because i mean obviously i don't live under the sea i'm not spongebob like these godlike characters those are the ones that people can't relate to as well because it's almost like rich people are godlike people and, and they kind of sit on that top pedestal that nobody can relate to well you find that their character flaws are like arrogance yeah right like you think about like aquaman you know like he was very arrogant character and that was kind of like how they kind of dressed him uh and then they had mara the uh, had to talk him down or kind of bring him down to reality and he feels very much like the captain marvel type i was also thinking too and this uh, this might not i don't know how this will sound to people but black panther i was just thinking that too the way they portrayed him in the movie because in the comic books i loved him but the way they portrayed him in the movie is just like everything about him and wakanda was perfect yeah I, I mean, we're not going to talk about the plot holes in the movie on top of all of that, but I just, I was, I wanted to love that movie. And then I was just so upset about it because of the way they just made him. He was again, like another Captain Marvel. It, it might be because they didn't show him training to that point, right? You got to figure he was probably training for that King role. But when you leave that part out, people can't put that together. And then they just see him as, okay, he's the King's, he's a Prince of Wakanda here you go. You're you're now Black Panther, and it makes me wonder where they're going to go next with these movies. It'd be interesting to go back and do a, do a prequel to that to actually see him, you know, learning how to prepare for that role. All of the whether that is fighting or negotiation or whatever somebody needs to know when they're in when they're in that role. 
maybe those two characters belong more in DC type movies than Marvel is, is unfortunate because I mean, I love, I love black Panther. Like I read him as a comic book back in the early days. I loved him maybe 10 years ago. And somebody had written an essay online about Batman's and not just Batman, but the vigilante superhero mentality and how they're actually could be considered more psycho, more sociopathic than the villains that they fight. And it's really interesting. I wish I, I had thought about it before we, we started the show, then I would have re- kind of read up and refreshed on it. But it was a really great and kind of exposed like Batman to be maybe Batman is not as good or maybe these superheroes aren't as good as, you know, they're made out to be, you know, they might be the good guys, but they surf, they are above the law. They act outside of the law. And what, but what makes them so much more special than you or me that they can do that? And how do they decide that what they're doing is right? Like you could look at somebody like the Punisher, for instance, who knows he's not doing something right. And he knows he's, he's working outside of the law. Like they, they talk about one, one issue where he, a couple of police officers come up to the Punisher and they want him to sign autographs. And he goes, look, don't you you shouldn't be worshiping me i am not the person that you should be worshiping you know people should be worshiping you not me kind of thing right it was just that was like more of a grounding moment for you know these superheroes like for instance like batman who just works outside the law to take down these characters i think that's why what made that series the boy so great on prime is the characters had deep flaws and then there's a group of people trying to really highlight them say listen these guys aren't as good as you thought they were and that's probably why that show worked, whereas Jupiter's Legacy didn't work and got canceled. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't a bad show, but it was just like, again, those characters were just perfect and they really had no repercussions to their their actions, right? Does anybody know when the next season of The Boys is coming out? Uh, should be next year. I believe it's going to be early next year. Oh, we got to wait that long. Yeah. Uh, just a little side note to that. Uh, Garth Ennis, who created The Boys also wrote some of the best Punisher storylines ever. So, Oh, there you go. Good to know. Yeah. Those characters were flawed in the boys. I'll tell you that. Oh, for sure. (laughs) I did make a quick little list of like some characters with vulnerabilities that I think should definitely be discussed. And I don't want to carry this on much longer. So if you know, you guys get bored of me, just tell me Uh, X-Men, obviously a lot of the racial societal prejudice uh, was something that was addressed quite a bit in the comic books and a, mm-hmm. that's a really big relatable one that I think, uh, I mean, obviously we're a bunch of white dudes talking about this, but I think that that's a really good comic for people if they want to relate to that kind of stuff. Uh, Harley Quinn uh, is another one too, who had some serious issues in regards to her uh, clinging on to an abusive relationship, like with the Joker. Uh, and then she obviously yeah. had issues in regards to relationships as, as soon as she was kind of done with the joker she moved on quickly to uh poison ivy and started a relationship with poison ivy they haven't really come out and said that they're together or anything but there's obviously hinting at that quite a bit in the comic book interesting yeah it's a little harder to relate to the the more mental ill i mean i mean that is becoming more of a focus of mental illness with people so i think it is helping when people see that some of these characters do have depression anxiety i'm sure there's other character like especially the bad guys the they they tended to make them more the more extreme like the schizophrenics and the multiple personalities and stuff like that whereas you get with the joker and and those characters which kind of probably put a black mark on that type it's hard to kind of looking at that 
and then saying, well, that's just crazy people do that, right? Well, no, I mean, those are normal people that just happen to get something that they didn't want. Mental health is definitely something. And you do see a shift of that culture in comic books, in the bad guys and stuff too. Like you don't see as much discussion about their mental health aspects uh, or that they're, they're so far extreme. Uh, but you do see more like stuff uh, in regards to current social issues like racism and stuff so you see a lot of characters come out that are the bad guys are more like racist and you know uh, donald trumpish i guess if if that's something that you want to even that's the new bad guy is it that it, that's yeah that's well certainly in marvel comics that seems to be the way but i take his take his twitter away from him again that's a that's a political aspect avenue i don't even want to even consider but it is what you're starting to see more character more villainous types in that regards and less about the mental illness well see it's getting harder to really put a a, a label on bad guys because you have like nazis and stuff like that and then you could really oh the russians they're bad they're always bad but now it's there's kind of a blurred line between who's good and who's bad now right right it's it's definitely it's a it's a tricky situation which is i think in in a way and i, I don't want to be with that naysayer but comic books is kind of struggling because of that <laughs> Because it, you can't make those classic bad guys like the Joker anymore because of issues. When you can't have, you can't have like, for instance, you go back even further. You can't have the the red skinned native as a, a comic bad guy anymore, right? No. And really, I mean, it's obviously the the colonizers are the bad guys for in in that particular situation. But you're you're noticing more and more people are really connecting with bad guys. Like you think about the Star Wars people really connected with the the like Darth Vader's and the Boba Fett's and and characters like that that are kind of on that bad side the black hat side not the white hat right right and I mean it's becoming more people are like well I like the bad guy sorry I don't like the good guys because they're relatable exactly right and I think that's probably why they've had to start rewriting a lot of characters uh, that are coming out in in more recent movies because they need to make them more relatable bad guys are getting love now in both comics and movies as well. I mean, Joker would never have had a movie 20 years ago. Now he's had a, like an amazing movie and people, and that's because he, again, it was like the, this character that, that had vulnerabilities and Joker's got comic books. We talked about Harley Quinn, Harley Quinn. She's a bad guy, but here, you know, people love, absolutely love her. Deadpool would technically be a bad guy. He wouldn't just get along with like, you know, the X men hero. Yeah. The anti-hero is becoming the hero now really. Yeah, but you're also seeing that in Disney and theater with kind of the, the uh, the Cruella and then the Wicked and the oh, um, perfect example, perfect example. Who, what's the other one? The Maleficent. Other one, uh, Maleficent. Yeah, exactly. Well, of course, Disney's kind of trying to soften the bad people. It's just like just let them be bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which which is unfortunate. Maleficent had so much potential, but then they, they just yeah, she was just way too soft. Yeah. Well, I think I think it gave the background as to why she was the way that she was. You know, these, these characters have a reason to be there and maybe they're just not so bad. They're just misunderstood. Mm -hmm. Usually the case, isn't it? Speaking of misunderstood bad guys, what about Loki? Good segue. So <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm getting really good at this. If you listen to our other shows. <laughs> Loki has never been a character that I have ever enjoyed. Maybe they're just not writing very well for him or it's that weird ass helmet with the horns that i can't get behind but i've just never liked that character up until now 
Okay. Did you did you like him in the Avengers movies? No. No. Okay. All no, right. Never. That's interesting. Yeah. No. Didn't like him uh, in those either. Because I thought he was very endearing in those movies, and I think <laughs> oh, I would think that other people might have thought that as well, and that's why they gave him his own show. I think he picked up at the end there. I think people started getting a little, a little more attached to him than they were at the beginning when he was kind of Thor's pain in the bum, Thor's thorn. And then they brought the sister along. It's like, okay, he's not that bad. <laughs> so, Peter, I take it uh, you did watch the uh, Loki show, the first episode? I did watch it. I actually watched it twice. And the second time through, and I mean, I don't are we doing spoiler? I guess it's not really a spoiler. No, everybody's seen it. Tell us a bit about it. But when the little girl looks up, he said, who did this? And it's just like, because the first time through, I'm like, I'm not sure what was going on. But the second time through, when the little girl's pointing up at the devil, says it was him. I'm like, oh, yeah, he's got the horns that come out and loop up. Like, okay, I see what she means now. I watched it a second time as well, too. I didn't catch it on the first uh, first round. Like, you know, what is, what is she talking about? Is she just talking, oh, a bad guy did this? But the horns. Yeah. I was kind of getting into the, all the rumor mills around uh, the Scarlet Witch and Vision, uh, WandaVision. Every time a show came or an episode came on, they showed like there was that uh, the swan that was all red. And then every episode, I can't, it was a swan or whatever it was. There was a bird that was in the house at one point that was all red and just seemed weird and misplaced to be there. But oh, the stork. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah the stork, the stork. Yes, yeah, sorry. And they kept going. And everybody kept saying that's going to be Mephisto. As soon as that girl pointed up to that that stained glass window, I thought, oh, that's, they're talking about Mephisto again. They got to be. I'm still waiting for that friggin' Mephisto <laughs> appearance. I mean, not how many, it. No, they, he didn't show up in friggin' Falcon and Winter Soldier. So maybe he's going to finally show up here. Because kind of the way they left the first episode, and spoiler alert, you know, three seconds to turn off. Okay, spoiler alert. They show that character at the end and they don't reveal his face. So I don't think it's going to end up being the alternate Loki. Or maybe I'm just dumb. I mean, that's the thing with these shows is they kind of misdirect a lot in the earlier episodes and then get you hooked in. And, and that's the thing. There's always a hook to, to bring you back, right? You're like, okay, so what happens next? What happens next? I mean, that, that to me is an, an engaging show when they bring stuff like that in there to keep you interested, right? Like, even if you don't really follow it that well, like if you're going to watch like scarlet witch from the beginning you're like well, well this doesn't even make any sense it's like but but they've got me interested to see more right yeah they really they're really good at that i think what they do too is that they put all kinds of easter eggs so they they draw in the real hardcore fans for sure because you mm -hmm. as a hardcore fan a comic book reader you're looking for everything you want you want to make that mephisto connection for instance but if you're not a a hardcore fan or you're only familiar with like the mcu the marvel cinematic universe then it's still a good enough show with enough mystery that you're going to keep tuning in every week. I like at the beginning episode, like when the, it first opens and they they're finishing off at the end of Avengers Endgame, and how, when he grabs a test rack and they drop him into the middle of the Gobi desert and his first instinction is to jump up on this very small rock to still put him above uh, the other other a few characters like there's probably like five other people there in the desert wondering who he is how he needs to present himself as something more uh, a more powerful being yeah you kind of forget where he is in the arc of time when he moves there because at the end when he obviously what happens in, in 
the first whatever what was the Avengers no, before Endgame was uh, what was the other one Infinity War when he I think that's where he meets whatever uh, and uh, and then you you forget that he he's kind of changed or he's developed and now he's kind of back to square one again he's kind of the evil manipulative I'm taking over the Asgard king business right and you're like oh yeah that's right he was at that point in his life when he pulled through the void or whatever that thing is yeah the nexus the nexus that's it yes 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 before we get too much deeper into plot and all that stuff did you guys actually enjoy the show did you enjoy the first episode i liked it more i think after i watched the second time because there was things that i was missing um the the first time around and i appreciated it more i'm with andrew on that i i, I think i enjoyed it more the second time the first time i'm like okay I'm, I'm trying to figure out okay where are they going with this how's this work because again i'm going into this without the comic book background on this character yeah. or any of these characters um like the time whatever they are the, the, TV, TVA. the tva yeah i had no idea who they were and i'm a comic comic nerd but i had no idea who they were <laughs> or maybe maybe it's just written just for the the show uh, i believe that the uh the character uh owen wilson portrays mobius agent mobius apparently pretty deep in the comic books but i was never an avengers fan so a lot of the avengers stuff is still relatively new to me right but i i enjoyed it I mean, I didn't watch it a second time, but I'm, I I geek out at this kind of stuff anyway. So I could you could probably just put a giant steaming pile of turd in front of me and I'd be like, hey, this is awesome. Because look, there's, <laughs> there's Owen Wilson. He's hilarious, you know? Yeah, he's great, everything. One part that I liked when, uh, when he's just captured, they ask him to take a ticket and how he's moving through the lineup and partway through the lineup, there's a big uh tv screen that's telling him all about the sacred timeline and so forth and it's very reminiscent about actually going through one of the disney lineups to get on one of their rides because <laughs> partway through there's always a screen up to kind of catch your interest or bring you up to speed on the actual ride that you're going to go on and uh it was very disney-esque i thought it was very jurassic parkish i thought Miss Manners is basically Mr. DNA in Marvel. <laughs> you know, you know what I, you know what I'm loving right now. The three of us here, like we all have a different idea of what that was. I'm thinking Fallout, like uh, the the video game, and Vault Boy, I think, or Vault Tech. Their videos were very much like that, the black and white with the uh, the cartoon character types. But they all kind of go back to the old uh, Looney Tunes. They take me back to the old Looney Tunes type movies too, or TV shows. That had that kind of stuff at the at the beginning, or the factory uh, kind of uh, pieces or training videos that you would watch back in the day as well. But it, it's funny that we all have a different memory of those kind of videos. I think a lot of those videos even come way before our time too, like kind of the when the bill becomes a law and all that. Those type of videos. Oh that yeah, actually totally, existed, completely. Right? I had forgotten all about it. Like it was probably companies like Disney that did these kind of training videos for people. Oh, probably, yeah. Um, back in the 40s, well, probably the 30s, 40s, whatever, right? And it'd be interesting to, to kind of look those up and see which ones exist. Yeah, or which ones were the first ones. We all remember the one at the drive-thru. Let's all go get our refreshments or oh, whatever, yeah. whatever that one yeah, was. Let's go into the... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I absolutely love get that. Ourselves. I think the Simpsons made fun of that too, <laughs> of course. I, I love the show. I love uh, the fact that uh, Owen Wilson is just, I was a little worried because whenever when you see like a big name or something like that come into a show, 
and you always worry about how they might come across cheesy especially him because he's kind of a he's an actor that way where he's so recognizable from his other roles that mm-hmm. you you kind of get lost you don't get quite as immersed when you see a character like that but he does he does a great job and the the dynamic between the two fantastic as far as i'm concerned i just thought that the way they browbeat each other was great i was gonna say it's very tarantino-ish and having just a dialogue just two guys sitting down having a conversation and just interjecting things that normal people would talk about right that's what again it it relates kind of to our first topic is you're making these characters relatable to us 100 percent, i agree with that and even your reference to quentin tarantino and even kevin smith in a way too like those type of movies are just all dialogue driven this was even like in the Avengers movies, like when when uh, Thor and Iron Man and Captain America would always get into their arguments and stuff like the dialogue between them was so spot on. And the character development, I guess, just within the dialogue itself was awesome and gets you to understand the character almost like right away to the kind of person that they might be. You're like the bickering in, uh, was it Endgame or was it Infinity War when Captain Marvel first got, they were bickering with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure which one. Marvel may have really come across just a perfect combination of a great dialogue driven movie or show and combining it with action. I was going to say in a hint of comedy in there too, just a hint of it. Don't make it mum jokes like, like they did in the last Jedi. So it's like that didn't fit anywhere in that realm. It has to make sense to what you're dealing with. It, the jokes have to relate and it's just going to be a little bit of sarcasm, a little bit of, ribbing and that's it that's good enough one of my favorite lines actually is when loki says that he's going to burn this place to the ground and agent mobius says well let me show you to my desk you can start there yeah fantastic line we all can relate to that Uh, peter kind of uh, mentioned too in regards to the last jedi and it's it's an insult to the character especially when you have characters that have legacy right like you, you talk about Star Wars fans are upset about what happened to Star Wars characters and stuff like that. I think that it's an insult to that legacy as well, right? So you want to make sure that, like, if you are going to have the humor, you want it to be, as you said, well-placed. But Marvel has been able to do that a little bit and put it in the movies so that it makes it more relatable in the long run as well. So Marvel probably has a little more license to make a little more of the comedy, but as you said, as long as they're not like mummy jokes and poopy farty well, exactly, jokes. Exactly, right? You want to keep it as a light joke and less of a parody. You do, once it goes into parody, it's not, that's fine for space balls. And maybe maybe even the line where where Tony Stark says, oh, I thought he was a Build-A-Bear. That might lose its, like, it's got to be able to, to be there now and 10 years from now. People have to understand what that joke means, right? And if you can't relate it to something that's part of the movie, you're going to like, well, what's Build-A-Bear? It was a funny joke, but don't get me wrong. Either of you, do either of you uh, like, you know, hop on those message boards or, or follow any of the comments or the Twitter conversations to see where things are going? Not for this. No, I don't want to know any spoilers. I, I find that the biggest problem with movies today is their, their trailers and everything, their marketing, they ruin it. It's just like they, they put too much in there. Deadpool made the best trailers for their movie. Had nothing to do with the movie. Introduces you to the character. And then you go in there fresh. Okay, let's see what he has to do. I'm not watching any trailers. I'll watch reaction videos, see how other people react. Maybe there's something that they're seeing from a comic book standpoint. Say, oh, that's who this character is. That's right. what this person means. Like the guy that got blown up for because he didn't have a ticket. Like that's kind of a little extreme. There must be something behind that. 
I haven't watched any for this one yet, mind you, but uh, I used to watch reaction videos all the time to say, well, how did other people react to this? Like, especially like the Mandalorian, I'd be watching reaction videos. Like, did they react the same way I did? Some people freaked right out, right? <laughs> oh, for sure. And, and I, I like to look at the Easter eggs and stuff like that after the episode. But I, I cheat a little bit when I when I go on Internet Movie Database because I want to see if there's any character that they're just going to throw in there sometimes. I just want to little wet the whistle kind of thing. Just get excited about. Yeah. But when I went on to look at Loki to see if there's going to introduce any characters, they have nothing on the Internet Movie Database. And Internet Movie Database spoils everything with that kind of yeah. stuff. But there's absolutely no information about the next episode. And it's only, what, they, two days away. So, or three days, whatever. By the time you hear this, it'll probably be already passed. I think that's been kind of the good thing they've been doing with a lot of these Disney Plus series is they're keeping the titles secret. They're keeping the characters secret. Like the whole thing with the Mandalorian, like nobody knew that this, the child was coming. I mean, that was an amazing reveal when it did happen, right? I mean, like you don't get that anymore. You don't get that Darth Vader, I'm your father moment anymore because somebody's already spoiled it with, oh, here's a set leak. Look, Darth Vader's there. Yeah. Um, and he's got a present for his son. <laughs> or, yeah. <laughs> Great that they're, that they're able to do that and keep it as hush-hush as possible. Getting off a little bit off track here. Some people seem to know that Luke Skywalker was showing up in the mandalorian i had no idea though because i was smart about it and boy i I mean my nipples were hard as hell uh, (laughs) when that happened but i'm glad that you know i guess disney or mcu is taking that seriously as well i guess in the future so we can all sit here and speculate about mephisto showing up or not yeah well i think that's the problem that we had was was everybody these spoilers and leaks and everybody wants to see these and they all all they do is they ruin the movie for and you make it disappointing it's like then you start formulating your own ideas of what you think you're going to see. And like for you with your Mephisto character, you're going to go, okay, oh, he's in it. And then you go, oh, that's not the way I want him to be, right? I mean, that's where it's going to get disappointing. Or when all of the best things are in the trailer, I might as well have just watched the trailer instead of spending my $25 to go in and watch this movie. Well, now you're like waiting for that scene to happen, right? You're like, well, that scene yeah. hasn't happened yet. So I know what's going to happen here. But, but I think I think Disney or MCU have have it kind of perfected, though, that they give you enough because I, I'm going to say I was sure as heck disappointed at the end of Scarlet Witch and disappointed at the end of Falcon when something big, some big reveal didn't happen. But they gave me tidbits of other stuff, too. Like, I mean, U.S. agent and uh, I don't remember the uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus character. But then these little bits are, as a comic book geek, are great for me. And even though I don't get my Mephisto, I got... I got my black Captain Marvel, which is what I wanted. I, mm-hmm. I, I will take Monica Rambo any day over Carol Danvers. <laughs> you know, I'm glad, like, they still give me, as a, as a comic book nerd, they give me enough. So that if I don't get Mephisto, or if Mephisto looks like a cheeseburger, I don't, you know, I, I won't be as upset because I still get my little things, right? For instance, I watched The Dark Phoenix the other night, uh, the, uh, the X-Men Jean Grey story uh, that was just horrible, but they put Dazzler in it. Now it turned it into the best movie ever. Second best movie I watched all year because Dazzler had a, an unnecessary cameo appearance. In it. <laughs> <laughs> I've not yet to see that movie. No, I haven't seen it either. And I think it's from what, Rob, 20, 2019? Something like that. It's, it's been a couple of years now anyway. It's almost like kind of when they stuck Gambit in one of the Wolverine movies. Just like, oh, when's the Gambit? Oh, they've been talking about Gambit movie for what, like the last decade or two? Yeah. Well, gentlemen... I think that probably wraps up another episode of How to Survive the Modern World or Gen X isn't just a fashion statement. Brought to you by Tribe74.com, your digital media experts, of course. 
Excellent. Well, Peter, thank you so much for joining the show tonight. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. It was fun. We need hey. more guests like you. Yeah. Maybe maybe <laughs> eventually maybe eventually replace me. <laughs> when when Rob dies, I'm slipping Peter into the role. Mm-hmm.